0: Good morning, Green Tree family. Uh, my name is Tom Ricks. I'm one of the pastors here at Green Tree. I am uh, chuckling because I've been in worship with you all. And Stephen Copeland's been very busy this morning, uh, so want to want to thank Stephen and Peggy and Mallory, uh, everybody that participated in in bringing those announcements to us and that that information uh, to us. Also, want to thank uh, Jamie and Russell for leading us in worship this morning. Uh, I appreciated their their heart and their and their voices uh, blending together as they lead us. Uh, I also want to offer my happy Father's Day to the dads out there. We're glad uh, to be celebrating today. I'm thinking of all the dad jokes I know, and I have some amazing ones. I don't know if I should share. Well, i share one of them with you. What do you What do you call somebody that has no body and no nose? Nobody knows. Um, yeah, it gets that much laughter at my house too, uh, but the dads, uh, we just wanna say happy Father's Day. Uh, the jobs you have uh, in helping shape and form your children's lives are incredibly important and uh, sometimes go unnoticed, uh, and you uh, may at times feel like it, it's not appreciated, but uh, I know uh, from my own experience with my children uh, and our grandkids now, um, how important it is that we love the Lord uh, and we love our families. So uh, happy Father's Day to all of you. Speaking of love, uh, that is uh, our emotion for the morning. We're uh, in a series. We have this Sunday and next Sunday where we're looking at different emotions that God gives us. And this morning uh, we're going to be talking about the emotion of love. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 89. Uh, This is a topical sermon series, but we are using the Psalms to look at different emotions. So we've looked at fear and anger uh, and some others. This morning we're going to consider the emotion of love. Now, Psalm 89, let me just tell you, is uh, over 50 verses long, so we're not going to be reading all of it. I'm actually just going to be picking uh, seven or eight verses out of it, and I'll mention them, the numbers to you as we go through. Otherwise, you're gonna you're gonna get lost real quickly. But when you think about love for a moment, you think about uh, our current circumstances. Uh, you might say, Tom, I'm not I'm not really feeling the love right now. Uh, there's a lot of commotion in our world. There's a lot of negative energy in our world. We could even go so far as to say there's a lot of hatred. Uh, there's a lot of vitriolic speech. There's a lot of antagonism. Uh, around a lot of different experiences uh, and events, and love may be uh, a word that we wouldn't use uh, to describe our culture or use to describe our world, and that's understandable because apart from God's love, we don't truly understand love. So it's not for us to look to the world and to judge the world and say, well, the world isn't very loving, isn't very kind-hearted. It's actually our responsibility to take the love of God into the world, to help the world experience and see the unconditional and the glorious love that God has for his people. So if I'm looking to the world uh, to be affirmed, if I'm looking to the world to experience love, uh, as the old country song went, I'm looking for love in all the wrong places. But as we look to God to experience the love that only he can give us, that love then begins to transform us and sends us into the world with that message, uh, with the message of the gospel. So with that in mind, uh, whether you're feeling the love this morning or not necessarily feeling the love this morning, uh, let's look at a few scattered verses in Psalm 89, beginning with verse 1. Hear the word of God. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exalt in your name all the day, and in your righteousness are exalted. And then skipping down to verse 24, my faithfulness and my steadfast love, God says, shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And way down in verse 49, the question is asked of the, of the psalmist, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David. Remember, O Lord, your servants are mocked, and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations, with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever, amen and amen. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Will you pray with me? I want to offer you to have a moment of silent prayer to ask God to speak to you this morning, to teach you, to reveal himself to you, and then in a moment I will pray for us collectively. Let's pray. Lord God, we do cry out to you, our Father. On this day in our culture where we uh, remember dads and, and grandpas, we remember the men in our lives who have had an impact on us uh, when we are thankful for uh, a good influence and perhaps we even mourn uh, a lack of relationship or or a broken relationship or an influence that that wasn't there. Father, we are studying this morning what the Bible calls your steadfast love. Lord, we pray that you would help us not just to see it with our minds, but to experience it in our hearts. Father, you have loved us since before the creation of the world, according to Scripture, and yet we live in a moment in time where love feels like uh, one of the last emotions anyone is experiencing. So, Father, we pray that you would show us again your glory this morning. Show us again your love, that we would be so filled with it that it would overflow in our lives to one another uh, within the the community of faith that we call Green Tree Community Church or wherever we find ourselves this morning, but also into the larger world that so terribly needs the love of God, the love of Jesus uh, in every corner and every facet uh, of this planet. Father, I pray that you would teach us this morning, Lord, please don't let me be a hindrance. your word, please forgive my sin, anything that would be uh, in the way. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would teach us. We pray in your name. Amen. It's only when we remember the steadfast love of the Lord to us that we can love others well. That's what we want to focus our time and attention on on this morning, remembering the steadfast love of God to us in order that we can share that love in the relationships in which we find ourselves, whether they're uh, in our families or in our neighborhoods. I watched the the VBS announcement uh, with you all this morning and thinking about all the little mini VBSs that are going to be going on uh, all over the St. Louis region this week and perhaps beyond. We have the opportunity to share the love of God with others, but we can only share that which we. Have, so it's important for us to come back to Scripture and to understand once again, both intellectually and emotionally God's love, uh, in order that we can respond to His calling, that we share that love with others. I'm going to tell you uh, up front. I'm going to work mostly backwards through this passage. I'm going to start uh, with the with the negative question that that uh, is towards the end of this psalm, and I'm going to work back towards verse one. Uh, for our purposes this morning, and I have five observations uh, in this passage, four observations, and then the fifth is really uh, the application of the text this morning. My first observation is this. If you look at the current circumstances in which the psalmist finds himself, they're not so different from the circumstances uh, in which you and I are living today. Look at verses 49 uh, through 51. If we go to that next on the screen. Oh, I'm sorry, thank you, I messed up. I didn't talk about definitions. So the person working the monitor is doing it right, now I'm doing it wrong. Let me back up a step and talk for a moment about steadfast love. Uh, You see a picture there on your screen of a lighthouse and the waves crashing around that lighthouse. When I think about steadfastness, when I think about something is going to be there, it doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that it's simple. It doesn't mean that thought doesn't have to go into it. Steadfastness, long-term faithfulness, uh, firm, uh, resolutely unwavering uh, is something that, that takes energy. It takes effort, and in, in, in the, in the part of a lighthouse, it takes great construction, it takes great architectural thinking, it takes great engineering thinking, and, and the right building process in order for that lighthouse to be what it needs to be, which is steadfast, generation after generation after generation. So it's important that as we begin this morning, we remember that that's how God's love is defined for us, but it's steadfast love. It's not steadfast power, although it could be that. It's not steadfast glory, although it certainly could be that, but it's steadfast love. I want to show you a painting uh, by Jeannie Lloyd, who's a, a modern painter. I just have discovered her work recently, uh, and I, I'd like some of it, others not, not so much my taste, but this picture in particular really caught my attention because it's a mother and a son and on Father's Day, maybe I should have had a dad and a son, but this picture struck me as the the son is clearly in some kind of distress, in some kind of pain, in some kind of turmoil, maybe perhaps uh, disappointment. I I feel like uh, what I see when I look at him is he feels like a sense of failure uh, upon him or a sense of deep disappointment, and yet there's a steadfast love. Uh, Doesn't matter what you do in life, your mom's going to your mom's going to love you. Uh, and again, uh, that's probably true of dads as well. But the psalmist describes our relationship with God as coming from steadfast love. And so as we look at our current circumstances, as I mentioned earlier, uh, thank you for staying true to the slides and keeping me on task. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, our current circumstances are, are, are tumultuous. They're difficult. They're a challenge. Love is not a word folks are throwing around a whole lot these days. But if you look at what the psalmist writes, you get an inkling that he understands that. That he he's kind of having that same experience as us. Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, by which uh, which by you you uh, excuse me? Where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Uh, and then the psalmist goes on to, to call the Lord to remember uh, that things are difficult with God's people. My experience, the psalmist says, doesn't match the promise. The psalmist is feeling abandoned by God's love. And so you're not alone this morning if perhaps that has been your experience recently. What promise is, is this particular writer looking back to? Because this is not a psalm of David. It's actually a psalm that was written well after David's life, uh, probably several hundred years after David's life, the the writer is one of the kings of Israel. We're not sure exactly which one, uh, but he's crying out to God because he doesn't see the promise of God. Which one is he speaking to? Well, if you go back to Second Samuel chapter seven, you read the following words: God is speaking through the prophet Nathan, and he's talking to King David, and your house. And your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So there's the promise that God gives to David. And you'd, you'd have to say, what happened if you put yourself in the shoes of, of this great, great, some number of great grandsons of David? Where, where did the promise go? Uh, I must be missing something. I, I I don't understand because what I do know is that God's love is, is faithful, it is steadfast. I saw a definition of uh, steadfast love this week that I that I really liked, and I'm gonna share it with you this morning. It says, this love is not just a feeling, it's a commitment, and above all, a sacrifice. I think the psalmist was looking for that kind of love commitment, uh, and he realized that he was not experiencing that. Pressure from outside countries were coming to bear on the nation of Israel, on the nation of Judah, and his current circumstances, uh, to go along with the modern singers, he, he'd lost that loving feeling. Those are the circumstances in which he found himself. Those are potentially the circumstances in which you and I find ourselves this morning. The question is, is there any hope? Is the steadfast love of God real? Well, that leads me to my second observation, which is this. There's some things that I must know, and one of the things I must know is the individual Love of God. Look at verses 24 and 26. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Do you see that God is, is speaking directly to a person, which speaks to the broader truth that God loves us individually? God loves you, put your name in that blank. God loves Tom Ricks. If you go to Mark chapter 10, we see the emotion of love with Jesus in an interaction he has with someone who actually doesn't love him in return. But a young man comes to Jesus and he asks him some, some, some questions about salvation, And Jesus is engaging with him, and and he's telling him the truth. But it says this about that encounter in Mark chapter 10. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. What I want you to see there is the love of Jesus for that individual person. We'll come in a moment to the, to the corporate love of Jesus. It's important for us to remember that, that collective love as well, but we must remember the love of God is for me. It's not just for the folks around me. And a lot of us have a hard time embracing this truth. A lot of us understand the love of God intellectually We get it. We've studied the scriptures. We understand the promises of God in the Old Testament are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ as our Messiah, our Savior, and our Lord in the New Testament. We read verses, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. And we get it. We understand it. But to have it sink deep into our hearts, to have it be an emotional attachment as well, at times is quite the challenge. I remember back in 2007 when I uh, was going through a a bit of a midlife crisis, I was in my 40s and I sought out some counsel. Uh, I sought out some help and the counselor uh, got to pretty quickly to the point where he said, Tom, you you know of God's love, but do you actually feel God's love? And you may be there this morning. I've been in that spot. And at that moment, I, I began to explore that question, but I wasn't, Uh, and I've used this term a lot, I wasn't self-curious enough. I didn't go deep enough. Recently, I've had that opportunity to go back and to re-explore that question. And the love of God is becoming more emotional to me, which I know more emotion is hard for you to believe if you're here Sunday in and Sunday out. Uh, But it's true. I'm beginning to learn to apply God's love emotionally to my life. Just let it wash over me. Let it be true for me in a way that touches my heart in a deep and a profound manner. I must know, you must know as disciples of Jesus, the individual love that God has for us. But my third observation of this text is what we also must know is the collective love of God. Look at verses 14 through 16. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Now, now look at where the thought goes next. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk in the light of your faith, who exalt in your name all day and in your righteousness are exalted. The psalmist is speaking there not just individually now. He's not just talking about himself, but he's talking about the people. He's talking about the nation of Israel there. What's important for us to understand is that God loves his people. He doesn't just love us individually, although he does, but he loves us. He loves Green Tree as a congregation. He loves the Christian community of the greater St. Louis area and beyond and beyond and beyond to the four corners of the earth. God loves his people. John puts it this way uh, in his letters to the uh, letter, his first letter to the Christians in Ephesus, where he had been a pastor for a long, long time. And now John's kind of off the scene. Uh, He's not with them anymore, but he's. He's kind of like the grandfather of the church, and he's reminding them of something very important in chapter 4. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this love, not and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Notice the the plural there. John is reminding the church in general of the love of God. And this is absolutely fundamental for us to understand in our relationships with one another that we're dealing with other people whom God loves dearly. And therefore, we are called to reflect that love to him. To them, I want to show you uh, one of my favorite pictures of the last year. This was a picture that was actually taken in Colorado, uh, so it's really pathetic that we were inside, and we took a picture inside. This is a group picture uh, of probably about 75% of the people that were attending this particular conference. This is a conference for uh, our denomination, the EPC, for all of the church planters uh, and their spouses uh, to come together for a retreat. Treat in Colorado, and we do it once a year, and we, we're kind of hoping and praying that we'll be able to do it this October, we, 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 we'll see how that goes, uh, the jury's still out on that one, but I, what I want you to notice about this picture is just look at the diversity within this picture. What do you see in that picture? You see people that are younger, uh, I'm in that picture, so you certainly see people that are older. Uh, the gentleman, as I'm looking at the screen, on the far left side with the ball cap on, Uh, is an Hispanic church planter in uh, the Berkeley, California area. Uh, Our speaker, Tabidi, there on the right is a pastor uh, in Washington, D.C. area. We have people from all over the country. We have have a mix of nationalities and, and backgrounds and races, all part of the collective family of God. And we worshiped together, and and we had two days to enjoy life together and to share our stories with one another. And church planters have a really hard job. Uh, The the, the task of church planting is a difficult one, and it was refreshing for everybody to be able to come back together and to talk. Some folks are planting churches that are suburban, some are planting churches that are urban, some are planting multi-ethnic churches, some are planting churches in communities that are traditionally underserved uh, and and, in very difficult socioeconomic uh, situations. And yet, uh, we came together to love one another and to remember that collectively— we are loved by God. In other words, I'm part of a family. I bear the name of Jesus, but I also bear the name of, in my particular situation, for many of you that are, that are worshiping with us this morning, we bear the name Green Tree Community Church. It's absolutely vital for the spiritual health of our community that we receive the love of God, not just intellectually, but also emotionally, but also share it first and foremost with one another. What does that look like? Well, my fourth observation is that we have a love song. Go to verses one and two. We're now back to the beginning of the passage. The psalmist says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. We have a song to sing. And what is this love song? It's not our song for someone else but rather we sing of God's love to us. We sing of God's steadfast, faithful love for us. We remember, we celebrate, we express thanks with full hearts. We are reminding one another as we, as we sing along with the psalmist that someone sang us a love song. So let me ask you a question. What's your favorite love song? I went back and did a little research on the the billboard charts this week. I'm not Casey Kasem, but, uh, but I did some research there. Uh, and looked at what were some of the top love songs of all time. So, so there you see some of the some of the artists. Uh, I'm I'm not going to wear a shirt like the BGS are wearing there. That uh, that's awfully brave of them. Uh, but you have uh, you have Lionel Richie and Diana Ross. You have Whitney Houston. You have some of the best love songs ever. Number one, according to the Billboard charts, was uh, "Endless Love" uh, by Diana Ross and by Lionel Richie. But there's some other great ones. Uh, up there, uh, I like Whitney's song. I will always uh, love you, but why do we love those songs why Why are we drawn to those songs? What is it about them that speaks into our hearts in such a way that you know it really is kind of sappy and you really want to turn it off and and you hope nobody's looking at you while you 're singing it, but you just you leave it on a- and you keep singing, even dads, you know even even guys like me. Uh, we're drawn to those kinds of songs. Why? Because there's an ideal that's being stated there. There's an aspiration. That's how we want to be loved. Very rarely do you hear a love song and think, that's the way I want to love the other person, at least if you're honest with yourself. When I hear that love song, I'm thinking, do I have somebody in my life that loves me that way? We tend to reflect on, on, on those tunes in that way. And there's nothing fundamentally wrong with that. God's created within us a longing for the emotion of love to, to experience that emotion. Uh, but it's not enough to just go there. It needs to, to move out into loving others. We need to kind of flip that and say, could I sing that love song uh, to someone else? Could I live that love song uh, to someone else or for someone else? Well, it's only when we understand how much God has loved us, which in fact says that the reality is even better than the song when we begin to allow God's love to wash over us. In the middle uh, of the, or towards the first third of the book, we read these verses in verse 14, 15, and 16 when it comes to living out our love song. What would what it mean for us uh, not just to enjoy the tune, so to speak, but to actually live that love song? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout and who walk, O Lord, in the light of your faith. Who, face, who exalt in your name and all their day and in your righteousness are exalted. This is our fifth observation in this text this morning that we must live out our song that our lives are to reflect. We are to sing back to God in, 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 in a way of putting it, and we're to sing into our community what he has sung to us. When we say we want to live out the steadfast love of the Lord, what we're saying is what I've, what I've received is something that I want to give to others. And what does God speak of here when he begins to explain that love? Righteousness, justice, justice faithfulness, light. We must constantly remind ourselves of his song. We can easily forget. I've started a habit recently of a few minutes in the morning and a few minutes in the evening, not of in-depth Bible study as much, although I do a little bit of study, but it's really just kind of a literal quiet time. Uh, I just sit alone, I get somewhere on my front porch or the back deck or somewhere where I'm just alone, and again, it's not very long, it's maybe about 10 minutes, and I just take some time of silence, and I I pray uh, a very simple one-sentence prayer. Father, not my will, but yours be done. And I pray that over and over again because my brain is kind of flighty and I can get distracted. I can start praying that and then I can, you know, I can hear something off in the distance and, and look up and begin to wonder about it and all of a sudden my mind's gone. But for a few minutes I pray that prayer and then I read a brief devotional. And then I go back and I pray that prayer again. I'm just being quiet. And I'm just asking God's love to sink into my heart, not just in my mind. Let me encourage you. One of the applications of this passage this morning is to remind yourself every day. Maybe a couple times. I need at least I probably should do it about five times a day, but at least a couple times a day. I need to remind myself, Tom bricks you are loved by God. Feel that love. Let it let it be yours in order that you might rest in that love, but also that God's righteousness and justice, and faithfulness, and light would shine through you. Because what we have received, we are called to share with others. John, in in that same uh, letter uh, that he's writing to the Ephesian Christians in chapter 4, 1 John, goes on to say this, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. How are you sharing the emotion of love with others this morning? How am I sharing it? Uh, I have a picture on the screen. You've been able to look at it for a couple minutes. Uh, it's taken off of the uh, the drone camera that we had flying overhead, uh, not yesterday but the Saturday before, uh, during the food drive of 2028. Uh, and the line you see down at the bottom, the, the 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 skinny line, are cars pulling into our parking lot of people that are coming uh, because they're they're getting food uh, for their family and maybe for some other families as well, and then you see that they, we have two lines, because uh, we're, we're, you know, Nancy Pratt is human, Stephen, she's not a cyborg for the future, uh, but, but she and her team had this beautifully organized, so it would flow, so one group of cars would go one way, one group of cars would go the other way, but if you look at that, what, what shape do you see? You see a cross. Isn't that ironic? Nancy didn't set out to say, let's form the car line to line up with the building so it looks like a cross. Everybody who's looked at that picture, I had the same reaction when I, when I looked at that everybody else said, oh, my goodness, how did that happen? Look at that. Is that not amazing? Because there's the love of God. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate communion. We're going to celebrate that which we have received from God. But brothers and sisters, if we have been loved by God, that's how we love others. We share what we have received. So we live and love as individuals. I have to make up my mind that I want to experience the emotion of God's love and that I want to share it with others, that I want to pass it on. Paul says this in Second Corinthians. I'm not going to put the verse on the screen, but Paul says this. He's talking about just him and, and a couple other guys. And he says this, the love of Christ compels us. And he goes on to talk about their ministry and, and where they had been and sharing the gospel and, and and what they've been sacrificing for the kingdom of God. But he's, but he's like, we can't even help ourselves. Why? Because the love of Christ, guilt, not duty, not obligation, but the love that Paul had received as an enemy of the church became the love with which he loved others. Does the love of Christ compel me as an individual, but also we love as a community. Green Tree Community Church has and will continue to have as long as it exists a reputation in our community. Our reputation is basically built on how we interact with the world around us. Is that going to be an interaction of love? Is it going to be a steadfast love? Is it going to be that 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 lighthouse love that's that's built upon the rock? of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that even as the waves crash against it, even as our our culture is filled with turmoil uh, and anger and hatred, we're going to be a lighthouse for the love of God. That's a collective question that we have to answer together. It's not okay for us as members of Green Tree to ignore that question or to assume that somebody else is going to answer it for us. It's for each one of us to commit in our hearts to know God's love and to share it with others. We love as individuals, we love as a community, but it's only when we remember the steadfast love of the Lord that we can love one another well. Will you pray with me? Father, we bless your name this morning because of the love with which you have loved us. Father, we know that we do not deserve this love. We know that it is not something that we earn but rather it is a gift. It is a gift freely given to us, but a gift that comes at a terrible price and costs the life of your son, our Lord Jesus. So, Father, as we come now to uh, the table to which our Lord invited us, uh, we pause for a moment of silent prayer.